Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you've tuned in. My name is Ernest Wamboye, and today we are having a new topic. We're talking about father wounds. Father wounds. Father's Day just uh, passed. It was actually just yesterday. And we had a time where men and women were celebrating their fathers and their fathers fi- their father figures. And we thought, how about we talk about father wounds? Because there are many people out there who perhaps do not have fathers. They are fatherless. Or perhaps they grew up with terrible fathers, fathers that brought pain. And it was difficult for them to celebrate Father's Day. And... I'm just going to perhaps say that um, I've been a, I'm a father to three children. So that is Tandiwe, who's turning six in about a, in about a month's time. Ivana, who's turning four um, in September this year. And we've got a third born who's on the way. Not yet born, uh, not yet out of the womb, but we recognize that life begins at conception. So uh, I'm a father to three. And by God's grace, we will see the third born perhaps end of October or early November. And in these years of a father, in these uh, six plus years of, uh, as a father, or these six years of fatherhood, I can't help but notice the profound impact that the male parent has on a child. I have understood this impact because I'm a son, I have a father, but also owing to the counseling sessions that I've had with couples. I've seen that many relationship problems between a man and a wife can be traced to father wounds in either one or both of members of the marriage. When a man and a woman have got painful relationships with their fathers, they are they tend to have these issues pour out in their marriage because uh, fathers help shape the destiny of children. A father is a girl's first idea of what a husband should be. A father is a boy's first idea of what a man should be. And so when a father does not play that role well, a man's perception of masculinity is hampered and a woman's perception of marriage is tampered with. And I have the privilege of teaching a purity program called Powerhouse, where we help men overcome sexual addictions and the non-unhealthy patterns of masculinity and manhood while embracing what the Bible says men should be. And I have taken more than 700 men through this program. And one thing that stands out is that bad fathers contribute greatly to broken men and also broken women. A father has got the profound effect to make a man live his life in a broken way and even a woman. Now, many people gravitate to deep resentment and bitterness owing to the nature of their relationship with their dads. When you ask people to talk about their dads, they may not always have happy stories. And the men and the women that I meet who have father wounds often easily admit that they had horrible relationships with their dads. How do these relationships look like? So we've got some people who've got absent fathers. And this means that dad was not there. He never wanted you. He never wanted to live a life with you. He lived apart from you. Maybe he rejected you. He um, got your mom pregnant and refused to take responsibility. Or maybe he did uh, take responsibility, but he bailed out at some point. He was absent. He chose not to not to be there for you. Or maybe you don't know him. You don't even know who he is. He brought you into this world, but he abandoned you. Or perhaps he's a passive father. He paid the school fees, he paid the house, he paid the house rent, he bought the grocery, and he didn't abscond from his duties. However, he was never engaged emotionally. And he didn't talk to you then, and perhaps even right now you don't talk. You have no relationship. 
Or perhaps he was a physically abusive dad. It's a dad who hit with his hands. When he wasn't hitting mom, he was hitting you. And he was physically violent. Or maybe he was verbally violent. He demeaned you with his words. I meet many people who say that their fathers called them names, prostitutes, useless, good for nothing. And these names um, uh, have a profound effect. You find that you are you're an adult, but you still remember those words. And when you remember them, tears come to your eyes. Or perhaps he was emotionally abusive. He withheld good things to punish you. He threatened and manipulated you. He tore you down psychologically and emotionally. I know of a girl who had um, a sister and the dad refused to pay school fees for her, but offered to pay school fees for the other sister. That's emotional abuse. Simply because the dad didn't like her. Or simply because the dad was trying to punish her. That's emotional abuse. Or perhaps it was spiritual abuse. You find that he used uh, his spiritual position to exert pain on you and to even misinterpret passages of the Bible. Those spiritual abuse in the slave trade because people took the Bible to make it say what they wanted their evil hearts to say and they used that to justify uh, the slave trade. That's spiritual abuse. It can happen in families. Or perhaps it's financially, financially abusive fathers. They drain the family financially. He was a burden. He kept you in poverty and lack. You realize that his absence would perhaps mean the thriving of the family. Or maybe he was a sexually abusive dad. Maybe he introduced you to pornography. Maybe he violated you sexually. Maybe he was a rapist. Or maybe he exposed you to a lewd lifestyle of drinking and sexual immorality, debauchery. Or maybe he was a controlling dad. He never gave you freedom. He controlled everything you said, everything you did. You had no say of your own. You couldn't air your opinions. You couldn't go anywhere. He was, uh, he, he was like a helicopter, you know, just controlling everything you did and everything everywhere you went. Or maybe he was an embarrassing dad. He showed up drunk. He was caught in a scandal, and everybody knew. You know, maybe he appeared on the television, or he fought in public, and he was uh, an embarrassment to you. He was caught in um, some some funny deals that brought shame to the family name. Or maybe he was a spiteful dad. He used his power, his position, his influence, his wealth to hurt you. He refused to attend to your needs. Why? Just in order to spite you. Guys, what kind of father did you have? Guys, you have to understand that father wounds have been proven statistically to contribute to societal problems such as poverty, teenage delinquency, involvement in crime, experimentation with drugs, failure in marriages. In fact, even um, the high rates of teenage pregnancy can be attributed strongly to absent fatherhood. You know, I once met a woman who hated her father and had made her life out pretty well. She had a well-paying job. <laughs> she had stayed out of trouble for most of her life. And she, you could say she lived in a pretty decent way. And when she had some of these statistics concerning fatherhood, she was very upset, you know, and she angrily chided that she was not a failure despite having a horrible father. And I agreed with her because, you see, many people hear these statistics and they think, think that these statistics means that their fates are sealed. Uh, the statistics don't mean that your fate is sealed. Uh, these statistics just show that there are dispositions that you often gravitate to because of father wounds. And in this woman's mind, people with father wounds were society's problems. But nothing could be further from the truth. There are people with fathers, and yet they cause, they cause many more problems than those who are fatherless. However, you need to see that her strong misreading of the information betrayed the father wound that she had in the first place. Father wounds will still betray your apparent successful life. You could be among the few outliers who overcome the problems of society or into terrible fathers. 
you could be those who still succeeded you know despite the statistics because life is not linear there are many other factors that can lead to your success despite your despite the father wounds and so these father wounds statistics are not prophecies and a non-linear life can still graduate you can still get a well-paying job own property and be a denizen of the upper middle class or even be rich successful however you need to understand that life's true success is not in money and apartments and in things uh my mentor dr stanley mccullio once said the more things you acquire on earth the more things you leave behind when you die life is about relationships relationships are the only things that cross over to the other side and if you're poor in relationships you may have a great apartment a great car guys if you're poor in relationships you're a failure and for this brand of failure you'll find that you struggle to keep relationships you'll sink into narcissistic tendencies you blame god you victimize yourself you wallow in self-pity you shout at people to get your point across you easily get that you easily get triggered by statistics that you misread <laughs> that even any 14 year old could read but you don't have to be that kind of failure you don't have to subscribe to that kind of failure because of your father wound how can you be free i'm going to give you a few points one you can start by admitting that you have a father wound guys you can never offer a prognosis before a diagnosis a problem that is not defined and articulated cannot be remedied this is true not just <laughs> this is driven our relationship with god i want you to look at how god offered a prognosis offered a diagnosis of our, to our problem before he offered a prognosis the diagnosis is the problem of sin the prognosis was the cross jesus christ all right so before god offered the remedy of jesus as a savior of the world he first gave a diagnosis through the law of moses the law demonstrates to us that we are sinners and that our good deeds are insufficient to save us when you read the ten commandments that and we just finished a series of the ten commandments you realize how flawed we are as human being and having understood our deeply flawed and unsalvageable state we can then comprehend that we need a savior you see we can't live the life god desires us to live because we're infected with sin that's diagnosis we can't remove the deadly infection of sin by way of our good deeds that's diagnosis we are doomed we are damned to eternal death because of our deadly infection of sin that's diagnosis we are spiritually terminal and deserving of death that's diagnosis now here comes the prognosis god has offered a solution and the solution is that jesus christ has lived the life we couldn't live prognosis jesus perfect life has inoculated him against a sinful infection that dooms and damns us that's prognosis jesus has taken the death sentence that we deserve that's prognosis he gives us his perfect health prognosis and on the cross of calvary the greatest blood transfusion took place our blood that deserves death was spared and his blood that deserves righteousness that deserves uh, glory was spilled and his blood saves us his blood cleanses us because his blood is without sin he sacrifices the prognosis guys you can never appreciate the gravity of the cross if you don't comprehend the desolation of our sinful state because the impression of judgment validates salvation by admitting your father wound you begin the diagnosis you commence it you cannot process what you do not define Secondly, after you've defined your father wound, after you've established this is exactly where I'm hurt, this is exactly what happened to me, this is exactly why I'm struggling, extrapolate the implications of your diagnosis. What does that mean? Do I hate men because of your father wound? 
Do you hate men because of your father wound? Do you struggle with the idea of marriage because of your father? Have you sought solace in drugs and substances because of the relationship you have with your father? Have you admired a rebellious lifestyle to assuage the anger you have towards your father? Have you purposefully tried to hurt your father to get back at him? Has your father wound made you afraid of getting children because you don't want to repeat the struggles, that the, 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 the issues that your father passed on to you? You feel you're broken, you don't want children to repeat that brokenness. Have you labeled masculinity as something evil because of your father? Has your father wound led you to hate some truth that your father believed in? <laughs> you don't care about the truth in and of itself, you just hate it. And you hate it because why? Because your father supported that truth. Ask yourself, have you hated Christianity because it presents God as a father? You must extrapolate the implications of your father wound and determine how far you have gone on that extrapolation. And that helps in diagnosis. You could say it's a, you could say that that extrapolation is the gap between diagnosis and prognosis. Now, thirdly, understand that the wound that has led you to where you are, um, this wound has not, let me put it like this, the wound has not held you any more than you have held onto the wound. You see, the wounds of your heart only impress onto your soul as strongly as you hold onto them. So you must loosen the hold that these wounds have on you so that in turn, the hold over you would be gone and you could be free. The wounds in your heart hold onto you because you hold onto them. And the way to not hold onto the wounds is to forgive Forgiveness is the way to look at the memories that you've had with your dad, the pain that you have, and to actually say, yeah, I need to let go of this. Here are a few lines. Here are a few lies to unlearn to just help you loosen that hold. Line number one, some people believe this lie that, you know, I don't need to forgive my father. I can just, I can just ignore my father and life will move on. Guys, let me tell you, don't believe that lie. It's a time-wasting lie. And let me tell you, it's a tragedy that many adults discover when they're in their late 30s, late 40s, that ignoring a problem does not make it go away. I've seen adults in their 50s learning that liberating truth a bit too late. Wasted years believing that there's another route to heal other than forgiving your dad. Guys, you can either trust this truth today and unlearn the lie, or perhaps you can see you again at the age of 45 or older with a wounded pride that rejected this basic truth. Guys, forgiveness is the way out. Don't look for another way. Any other way is fueled by fear, pain, pride. Line number three, that forgiveness means the person who hurts you wins. Your father does not win when you forgive them. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, forgiveness is not a credit to the one that hurt you and a debit on your heart. Forgiveness is a credit to you. The mark that is held in the petri dish of unforgiveness is often bitterness, wrath, resentment, vengeance, hatred. All those things harm you. They don't harm the other person. So when you forgive, these things leave you. You are the one who benefits. You know the ancient adage that says that unforgiveness is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die? It's true. One reason people hold on to forgiveness, unforgiveness rather, is because it is familiar. <laughs> you know, uh, Forgiveness is the unknown, and many people fear the unknown. They believe that if their hearts remain black and bitter, they can never be hurt again. Guys, it doesn't work like that. If your heart remains black and bitter, a few things end up happening. One, you end up transitioning from victim to villain. 
Your dark and bitter heart ends up hurting innocent people the same way your dark heart from the from the same way the dark heart from your father hurt you. You end up hurting other people just like your father hurt you. You become your father. Two, you deny God the opportunity to fight for you. This is what the Bible says in Romans 12, 19. The father says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Just think about that. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to repay. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And three, you forfeit the healing to be restored and to learn how to guard your heart. Because it is through forgiveness that you qualify for healing. What is the third lie? The third lie is this, that I need to feel the need to forgive before I forgive. Guys, that's a lie. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I want you to imagine you're watching your favorite TV show and you have the sudden urge to go to the washroom. Do you wait for your feelings to align with your decision? Do you say, I will, I will wait when I feel like uh, when everything is working in my in, in my in, in line with my emotions, then I'll go. In fact, maybe you're in the middle of a very uh, important part of the TV show. You know, your emotions are soaked in. Then you need to go to the washroom. What do you do? You pause the movie and you go to the washroom. You don't soil yourself. It's a choice. It's a choice. Many hurting people have spiritually soiled themselves because they're sitting there waiting for a feeling. On the mature side of adulthood is the inconvenient truth that life choices that are dictated by feelings lead to a mediocre way of living. We don't feel like going to work on some days, guys, but we go anyway. You need to break the mental slavery of being chained to your erratic feelings. Make decisions out of conviction and not emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. Lie number four is that once I forgive, I will never be hurt by this person. That's the other lie. That if I forgive them, I'll be perfectly uh, safe from this person's heart. Not true, guys. Forgiveness changes you. It doesn't change the offender. You have zero control over the actions of others, but you've got absolute control over your heart. So what does, a for- what does forgiveness do? One, it liberates you from the bondage of bitterness and resentment. Secondly, it gives you room to guard your heart so that, you f- so that future offenses do not affect you. You can't build the fences to guard your heart right? when your hands are tied by unforgiveness. You need those hands to guard your heart, <laughs> to build the fences that guard your heart. Guarding your heart involves drawing boundaries to the offender. The, the reformer, Martin Luther, who uh, began the Protestant Revolution, he said that you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest on it. How true. You cannot stop offender, the offender, but you can guard your heart. And guys, that's basically the same thing. Line number five is that forgiveness is an event. Forgiveness is not an event. Forgiveness is a lifestyle of overlooking offenses and canceling debts. If you look at forgiveness as an event, you will get impatient with any future forgiveness. But if you look at forgiveness as a lifestyle, you will realize that this is a way of life. And you'll have lots of patience and grace. It's a Christian lifestyle. And it starts by understanding that your sins have been forgiven by God. And it is understanding that the rest of your life is meant to be lived with the knowledge that forgiveness is not a fancy tool we use once in a lifetime and put it away waiting for the next emergency. Forgiveness is a lifestyle that the heart must learn. Forgiveness is not cake for special occasions. Forgiveness is bread for daily use. The heart must learn to forgive as often as there is an offense. Unforgiveness, on the other hand, is like a stubborn stain on a wall. 
It requires several scrubs before it fully leaves. You may forgive your father 15 times before you feel the peace enter your heart fully. All right? And if forgiveness is not, is not a lifestyle, this is what will happen. You'll burn out with pride and self-pity by the time you're forgiving the third time. But if forgiveness is a lifestyle, you know that 15 is just a warm-up. You can forgive them infinitely. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, 70 times 7, infinitely, completely. So the lifestyle of forgiveness allows us to forgive infinitely because we draw from a reservoir of forgiveness that we have received from the cross of Jesus Christ. You are only able to forgive incessantly because you understand you've been forgiven infinitely. No debt so great has ever been paid than the debt of your sin on the cross. And because of that, there is no such thing as an unforgivable offense. Guys, the next lie. That forgiveness will always lead to reconciliation. Guys, well, it is admirable, admirable rather, that relationships be reconciled. One of the painful truths that you will learn is that forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. Even Paul the Apostle in Romans 12, 18 said, if it is possible, live at peace with all people. There are times it's impossible. But you need to do everything in our possible to reconcile. But we cannot enforce reconciliation when the other person is not willing. But we can guarantee forgiveness. Forgiveness is the bona fide signature of peace even in the absence of a reconciled relationship. Some people may prove hostile after forgiving them. That's okay. It's not an indictment on your part. It's an indictment on theirs. Now, the final step in all this, step number four, and it is to understand that the next generation can experience something differently in their relationships because you choose to forgive. Reverend Peter Sanchi once said that you cannot choose your ancestors, but you can influence your descendants. What a profound truth. I'll tell you this, guys, from my personal life, I have decided I'm going to be a good father to my children. Gentlemen, you can follow that example. You can be a present, active, responsible, and different father than your own fathers. You can say, I'm going to overcome the, the, the pain and the baggage from the past. Ladies, you can marry a man who will make a good father. And all this happens after we've forgiven, guys. The generational baggage of broken families and broken marriages can end with us. We can stop the flow of spiritual garbage and we can decimate the baggage of our nation. But it all starts with forgiveness. Remember, guys, a time will come when the price that you'll have to pay for your advancement will be to show honor to those who have persecuted you and mistreated you. Remember the story of Joseph. It required forgiving his malicious brothers. The test for your final step may have to involve showing honor to the dishonorable, loving the unlovely, blessing those who curse you. It's a price that requires maturity and growth. It's a price that requires giving, not receiving. It's a price that few are willing to give, few are willing to pay. Because for many, the only concept of closure with the ones who have hurt them is by seeing their enemies crushed and embarrassed. But you need to understand that at the peak of Jesus' mission, his mission was similar to Joseph's. He was loving you as stiff-necked and rebellious people. It was the price of the gospel, and it's the price that you must be pay. You must pay because, guys, the revival is about love, and God wants to bring revival. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Anes Wamboy. This is the Relationship Center of the Edify Podcast Network. I'm glad you've tuned in. And for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, please head over to www.edify.app, that is E-D-I-F-I dot A-P-P, 
or you could search for the Edify app on the Google Play Store or on the Apple Store. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.